So we see here in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is towards the beginning of his earthly ministry. He didn't come with a lot of fanfare. But if you notice, it did not take long for word to get out that Jesus was in the house. By the way, wouldn't that be an awesome thing for Harvest to be known for? That it's a place where you could come and you could be sure Jesus was in the house. By the way, I'll point it out. If Jesus is in the house, you can't hide him. Word will get out if Jesus is here. Amen. A couple of notes about this as we look at this tonight. Number one, I want you to know that with Jesus, the message, the gospel was paramount. The Bible says that when he was there, verse number two, he preached the word unto them. Can I tell you, the message of salvation did not take a backseat to the miracle. No, the message of salvation was paramount. Jesus preached the word unto them. By the way, the miracle that they saw, the mercy they saw Jesus extend, what did it do? It helped to confirm the message. But the message did not take a back seat to the miracle. The message was paramount. (coughs) By the way, when we serve Jesus, may we always remember mercy is never in conflict with the message. They ought to go hand in hand. John 1 and verse number 14 points out this about Jesus. Gospel of John chapter 1. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They ought to go hand in hand, church. You know, there are some churches, I'm already getting behind, so are you really don't tell them how long it took me Friday night. You know, there are some churches, and all they're known for is the truth, the truth, the truth, almost so much so that the truth is a, is a hammer that we use to conk people on the head. Other churches might be known for grace, for grace, for grace, and they're good and good and good, but what, we don't even know what they really stand for or believe. Biblical ministry, the two ought to go hand in hand. People ought to know, thus saith the Lord. But we ought to do it in such a way that it is grace and truth. So I want you to note, number one tonight, the message before I get to my message, that the message was paramount with Jesus. The gospel never took a back seat to the miracle. I want you to notice this as well, number two of the message before the message, that the master is not afraid to address hard things. Jesus perceived what was going on in the religious leaders' hearts. He knew the hardness of their heart. He knew the hang-up that they were stuck on. Jesus knew the hardness of their heart. By the way, Jesus knows the hard things. He knows the hang-ups. He knows the holes in our lives. And guess what? He is the answer to all of the hard things of life. But Jesus is not afraid to address the hard things. So, may I say this tonight? Open up to Jesus. He already knows. You know, sometimes we like say things in our hearts. We never say them out loud. They always go unaddressed. Here's the thing. Open up to Jesus. He already knows anyways. The only reason not to open up It's because to a certain extent, you want to stay hung up. Let's just be honest about it. If he already knows anyways, the only reason not to open up and just be honest with God tonight is because to a certain extent, you want to stay hung up. 
The master is not afraid to address hard things. No, in fact, he is the answer to the hard things in life. But tonight, I want to spend our time looking at the four friends who brought the lame man to Jesus. Now, if I use the term lame man, it means he couldn't walk. I'm not saying he wasn't cool. I'm sure he was a cool man. But we're going to spend our time tonight looking at his friend. Friends, and the truth we need to get is simply this, that God uses people to reach people. The grace of God still works, amen? Amen. But God wants us as His people to be conduits of His grace. We're not containers, we are conduits. Channels by which He wants His grace to flow to others. I'm going to tell you, it's an incredible thought that God wants to use me for His work. But he does. As I look at Mark chapter 2 in the setting, I, I note this, that many were present. Insomuch as there was not even room around the door. Many were present, but only a few were used. So tonight I want us to see from these four guys, what does it take to make a difference? Look with me, Mark chapter 2, verse number 3. They come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So our question tonight, what does it take to make a difference? Number one, if you're taking notes, it takes contact. It takes contact. What's it going to take to make a difference? It takes contact. Let's put it this way. These four men could have never brought the paralyzed man if they never saw him. These four men could have never brought their paralyzed, uh, this paralyzed man to Jesus if they had never befriended him. You go up to a stranger and try to drag them away somewhere. You roll up in your vehicle and tell people on the side of the road, jump in, see what happens. I mean, many of our mamas spent many a years teaching us not to do that, right? Stranger danger. These men came from different places. They had different needs. They had different social standings. But for these men to bring this man to Jesus, they had to be in a place where they could see him. They had to be in a place where they could comprehend his situation. That he was paralyzed. That that it was hopeless in and of himself. And none of this could happen unless their lives contacted his you know church may we never forget what's it going to take to make a difference it's going to take contact how many of us recognize tonight that it's easy to keep a tight circle to only hang with people who are like me how many of us realize tonight that it's easy to keep a comfortable surrounding that I really only have contact with those who have their lives together How many of us would be honest enough tonight to admit that it is often uncomfortable to see or be around those whose lives are drastically different or difficult, especially when sin is involved? It's difficult and uncomfortable. But the church has never been called to circle the wagons. We are called to go. What was the great commission that Jesus gave to us? Matthew 18 and verse number 19. 
Go ye therefore and do what? Teach all nations. Make disciples of all people. But they're different than us. Go and teach. But they have different dietary habits than us. Go and teach. But they have sinful pasts. Go teach. But some of them are really struggling. Go teach. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What, what do we see in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8? Being witnesses of Him. The next part in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. Well, preacher, what are we going to find when we get to the uttermost part of the earth? I've seen things on National Geographic. And it, it looked, it's, what, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find people who need Jesus. Yeah. You're going to find people who need Jesus. Romans 10 and verse 14 reminds us simply, how shall they hear without a preacher? Boy, some of us, we're, 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 we're comfortable to sit in our own little, little circles and we, we fill our lives with comfortable people and comfortable things. But the world around us is dying and going to hell. People around us are, are heartbroken and in and seemingly hopeless situations. And they need to know that Jesus is still the answer. It's easy to circle the wagons and hope they come to us, but that's not what Jesus has told us to do. We have been told to go to them. I can remember very early in my ministry here, I think we were in Coshocton, passing out tracts for the radio ministry. And I can remember I was partnered on the same street as Mrs. Lewis. <laughs> If you ever want to go with a bold soul winner, Mrs. Lewis is that. I can remember we worked our way down the street and the last address on my side of the street was a tattoo parlor. I've never been in a tattoo parlor in my life. I can still say to this day, I've never been in a tattoo parlor in my life. But when Mrs. Lewis got to the end of the street, you know what she said? She said, now, Brother Allen, has anybody been in there? I said, I don't think so, Mrs. Lewis. She goes, well, they need to hear this too. And she marched right in there and gave them all gospel tracts. Well, folks, that's what we need. That's what we need. That's what we need. Our commission is to go and tell to go and proclaim I'm reminded and I remind you tonight God came to you God came to you you didn't come anywhere near his circle and yet God left his circle and came to you while we were yet sinners Christ died for us God came to us we must go to others now, this is where I want to challenge you for a little bit with this. It takes contact. Does this involve going up to a stranger's door and passing out a gospel track or giving them a John's and Romans like we're doing? Absolutely it does. But is that the only way we can do it? No. You recognize you have contact with dozens of people who are unsaved or unchurched or in need. You have contact with dozens of people in spiritual need every single day. You think about the people who live next to you. Do you know who your neighbors are? <coughs> Do you know who your neighbors are? Amen. 
Bake him some cookies and give him a gospel track. Have a bonfire and invite him over for s'mores. Take some brownies and ice cream to him. Well, preacher, if I, if I have them over to my house, I don't know exactly what they'll do. But we know what they need. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you about this. How many of us have hobbies? We have things that we like to do. We have people we like to do it with. You know what? Those opportunities, those are opportunities for our lives to connect with other lives of people who need the gospel. Right. Think about this. Every one of you shop. Every one of you eat. Wouldn't it be awesome if that, the, the, the girl at the checkout at Miller's, she said, you know what? I've gotten 17 of these stinking cards from Harvest. I may as well go so they quit giving them to me. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Some of you, you go eat at the same restaurants over and over and over and over again. They know your name. They know, they know what, what, what you always order off the menu. Let me ask you, do they know you love Jesus? Do they know Jesus loves them? You see, it's not all just cold calling, knocking on strangers' doors and trying to get information into their house. No, we're going to canvas our community, amen? But the reality is you live with people and work with people and play with people that your life contacts Every single day. But the question is, are we intentionally cultivating those relationships to point people to Jesus? You know, every point of contact we have could be a point of contact to point somebody to Jesus. But if we're going to make a difference, do you know what it takes? It takes contact. You choose to live in your bubble, you may feel safe, but you will never make a difference. So, what does it take to make a difference? Number one, it takes contact. contact. Number two, let's look at verse number three again. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So, number one, it takes contact. Number two, it takes compassion. It takes compassion. I want you to note about these four men. They were willing to bear a burden that didn't belong to them. That someone else might be healed. I want you to note about these men. That they were willing to endure helping someone who could not help in the process. Well, if they would just learn to help themselves. No. These men were willing to endure helping someone who could not help in the process. These men were willing to continue when things got heavy. Can't imagine carrying a dude was light. They were willing to continue when things got hard. Let me ask you, did the crowd say, oh, there's a lame man. Everybody make way. Let this man to Jesus. Is that what happened? No, the rest of the crowd treated him like they didn't exist. And yet they were willing to continue when things got hard. Why? Because these men were moved with compassion for one in need. And because four cared, one was cured. Church, you recognize tonight that helping people can be hard. That making a difference can be heavy. But it takes compassion to make a difference. It, it takes seeing the need. It takes a willingness to help bear that which often others cannot or will not bear. 
And let me make this distinction. Compassion is not just seeing the problem. It's easy to see the problem. Compassion is not just seeing the problem. It is seeing the person and the pain the problem causes. I'm going to tell you, in that day, we find, as you read the Gospels, there were many people who were lame, many people who were blind, many people who were deaf or dumb, many people who were lepers or demon-possessed. But what made the difference for this one man was a group of people who, who didn't just see the big problem, though they found one person, and they poured in to help. You know, I think sometimes because it's so easy to see the problem and so difficult to make a difference, what do we do? We get overwhelmed by the problem and we overlook the person. You know, it's easy. It's easy to say, well, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's an addiction epidemic in our culture. But what are we doing to help connect people with addictions? With the Lord Jesus. I'll give you this one. It's easy to say. Well you look at the drop off rate. From, from those who grow up in church. And, and, and they don't even come anymore. Most of them don't. It's easy to see the problem. But let me ask you. Do you pray for any of them? Have you, have you, have you loved on any of them? Have you, have you written one a note or a card and said, you know what, I'm so proud of all that you've done. It's so glad you're a part of our church. Like, are we doing anything to show compassion to people? Oh, we comment on the problems all the time. But that doesn't change anything. It's compassion to people that make a difference. Because you know what happens? When we get burdened for others, others get blessed. Jude 22 reminds us of this simple fact. And if some have compassion... Making a difference. You know what happens when we get burdened for others? Chains get broken. Guys, we get all fired up about all sorts of things. People get all fired up about sports. People get all fired up about politics. I, the, I, last Wednesday, I had the opportunity to talk to our young ladies, our, our preteen young ladies. That group absolutely terrifies me. And I admit it. I said, ladies, I have no idea what interests you. I am lost in your world. And instead of helping me, they just laughed at me. <laughs> but you know, we're all passionate about some things, right? Amen. What if the church of Jesus Christ just got excited about what Jesus got excited about? What if we got passionate about what he was passionate about? You know, when, when, when we look in the Bible where Jesus was moved, when he was moved with compassion, that literally means like he felt it in his insides. It wasn't about the politics of the day. It wasn't about uh, the power structures. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about a sports team. It wasn't about politics. It wasn't about any of that. What moved Jesus? Go ahead and put it up. Uh, Mark chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36. But when he saw the multitudes, the people, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Boy, if we want to make a difference, we need to see people how Jesus sees people. We need to see the soul. We need to see the spiritual need. And be willing to have compassion. What's it going to take to make a difference? Number one, church, it takes what? It takes contact. Can't live in a bubble. Can't live in a bubble. I'll put it this way, and we'll talk about this more next week a little bit. 
we're to be friendly with everyone. I can't be friends with everybody. Why? Because in order to be friends, in order to have true fellowship, our lives have to be moving in the same direction. I can't really have a relationship with you when I'm going this way and you're going that way, right? But I can be friendly to everyone. Takes contact. Number two, what does it take to make a difference? It takes compassion. compassion. Number three, let's look at this verse number three one more time. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So it takes contact. It takes compassion. Number three, it takes cooperation. They work together for a common goal. You know what I don't see in Scripture? I don't see that in any way they argued about their positions, who was in the front, who was in the back, who was on the left, who was on the right. You know what I don't see? I don't see where they argued about the process. I simply see men who worked together to get someone to Jesus. Now, I'm sure there were problems. You say, preacher, how do you know there were problems? Have you ever carried something with somebody else before? I mean, I, I've carried pianos on several occasions. I, I, I've carried a number of things with people, and I can't think of once that it ever really went well. I, I, I just can't. So I know that it's, uh, there were problems. You know, I'm sure there were problems that they had to work through. I'm sure there were personalities involved. Why? Because we all bring our personalities to, to everything we do. And so I am sure that there were personalities involved. But in spite of the problems and in spite of the personalities, what happened? They found a way to work together to get this man to Jesus. Now, a couple of thoughts, church. We need each other. This thing of following Christ, this thing of serving Christ, this thing of making a difference, it's not a one-man band. Now, we, we temper that with the understanding that people plus personalities always do produce problems, that Satan is uh, one who always seeks to divide, divide us. But God, God calls us to unity in the body. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 3, it puts it this way, that we ought to endeavor, work, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 16 is kind of a culminating verse of this whole section. For whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. You see the unity here. What, to the effectual working in the measure of every part. What does it do? Make it increase of the body under the edifying of itself in Love. We need each other to make a difference. In 1 Corinthians 12, in verse number 25, it's this, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now, here's the thing. It's, it's not that we never experience conflict. Are there problems in the church? Amen, there are. Are there personalities in the church? Absolutely, they are. Don't, don't look at Bill Brown, all right? But... Uh, <laughs> There are personalities in the church. So it's not that there's not problems and there's not that there's not personalities. But here's the thing. When our commitment is to cooperation, what happens? The conflicts don't take over and they don't detract from what God wants to do. Because we recognize that there is something more important than my issue at stake. And that is the glory of God, the salvation of souls, and the helping of others. If we're going to accomplish that church, we need each other. Christians ought not be in conflict. 
Because we serve the same spirit. We, we serve the same God. We have the same spirit living within us. Christians ought not be in conflict with one another. Put this way too. Ministries are not to be contentious. In other words, it shouldn't be the radio station fighting against the school. Golden apples fighting against what else we got going on. Are you? Golden apples fighting against are you? The choir fighting against the orchestra. The sound room, it does its own thing. So I'm going to tell you, though, in all sincerity, sometimes in a ministry like ours, guess what we have? We have limited space and limited resources. And so sometimes it feels like we're all tugging for the same thing. But we can't go there because we're all working for the same person. So we ain't tugging for the same thing. We're working for the same person. And so Christians ought not be in conflict. Ministries ought not be in contentious. We are for one another. Amen. I might not be a part of that ministry every week, but I am for that ministry because it's pointing people to Jesus. Everything we do here seeks to point people to Jesus. Can I say this? I know this makes me a bad Baptist, but churches ought not be in competition. Churches ought not be in competition. Because we serve the same God. We have the same Savior. We need each other. Now to bring it back to our church, it's important for us to understand that every member of this church has a responsibility to minister. In other words, if you're not utilizing the gifts God has given you in this body, this body is hurting. It is lacking by whatever reason you're not involved. I was going to say laziness, but that sounded harsh. If you're not utilizing your gifts, this body is lacking. We have a biblical responsibility to use the gifts God has given us in the place God has placed us for for our own growth and being a positive part of the growth of others. And for some of us, it's ministering within the body. Some of us, it's primarily reaching out the body. But here's the reality. Unity with urgency reaches people. Unity with urgency reaches people. But if we're going to make a difference, it's going to take cooperation. Church, we want to make a difference. Amen? Amen. We all want to make a difference. Number one, what's it going to take? It's going to take Contact. contact. Number two, it's going to take Compassion. All right, let's do it. Number two, it's going to take compassion. Number three, it's going to take cooperation. We're not done yet. I'm not going to tell you how much longer. Amen. Amen. Verse number four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So it takes contact. It takes compassion. It takes cooperation. Fourthly, tonight, it takes creativity. It takes creativity. I want you to notice what the Bible says there in verse number four. And when they could not come nigh for the press, they said, oh, well, better luck next time, and went home. Is that what the Bible says? Let me try again. Notice that the Bible says in verse number four, and when they could not come nigh for the press, Eleazar said to Jeremiah, I told thee that we should have left earlier. 
Is that what the Bible says? No. no. It says, when they cannot come nigh unto him for the press, what did they do? They went up to the roof. To understand, uh, houses in that day had stairs that led up to a flat roof. The roofs were timbers covered by branches, tiles, and then topped with thick mud and pressed until waterproof. And so what did these guys do? When they couldn't get inside the house to Jesus, they got creative. They said, if we can't get in this way, we're going to get in this way. And they took that man to the top of the roof. By the way, okay, go back to carrying things. You ever try to carry something up the stairs? They carried him up. To the roof. And then they tore the guy's roof off. That's, that's what it politely says when they uncovered the roof. Oh, they ripped it off. They were willing to get creative. To get this man to Jesus. Can I tell you, when you decide you're going to make a difference, there's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be crowds. There's always going to be costs. There's always going to be criticisms, etc., etc., etc. But if you and I are going to make a difference, we have to keep going. Sometimes that means we have to be creative. I've never, we've never done it that way. Mm. Never done it that way. Or here's one. Well, it's not what I thought or hoped it would be. It didn't meet my expectations. Or how about this one? Well, I have never done anything like that before. Boy, I'm sure glad that those who went before me didn't have that same attitude. I'm glad Pastor Lewis, a number of years ago, didn't have that attitude about a radio. Well, I've never done it before, so I guess it can't be done. Well, we've never had a Christian school before, so I guess it can't be done. We've never had an orchestra before. We've, we've never done Johns and Romans before. We've, well, we've never knocked on a door before. We've never invited our neighbors before. Boy, I'm glad those who went before us didn't have that attitude. Amen. Boy, I've never been involved in public school ministry before. Hmm. Church, that door is open for us. You know what I need? I just need some people to walk through it with me. Because I can't do it on my own. Here's the thing. We prayed about it a couple of Wednesdays. We've, I've had zero inquiries. Again, if this is not the Lord's time, then I can't be disappointed with the Lord's will. But I have to imagine, if God is opening a door for us to take the light of Christ into the public school, that maybe, just maybe, God's speaking to some people's hearts about doing this. I'm pretty sure I've never done public school ministry before. Kids are scary and public schools are crazy. Preacher, I've never been in our youth ministry before. I've, uh, I've never been in leadership in the church before. You recognize that some of our leadership have, have run their various ministries for approximately 733 years. And I'm grateful for it. Some of them are going to be serving in their minute. And yes, we are talking about Larry primarily there. He was laughing, you know. No, I'm grateful for those who have longevity in the ministry. But you know what I'm wondering? I'm wondering who are the people that are going to stand up and say, you know what, I hope the Lord gives you another 700 years. But I want you to teach me how it's done so I can help lead forward when the Lord moves you off the scene. I'm wondering... 
Who's that? Because I know the Lord doesn't want these things to die on the vine. I know the Lord's not done working. But I think sometimes we get in our minds, well, I've never, I've never been in leadership before. I don't, I, I, I don't rightly know. I'm, I'm, only, I'm only 20-some years old or 30-some years old. I don't, I don't really feel like I'm qualified. I get it. I get it. Like every single day, I get it. But it's going to take some people to allow God to help them to think maybe like they've never thought before. I love some of, the excuse, some of the things we see in the Bible. I want you to note these verses and see, see, what, see the parallels to our, our lives in ministry. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse number 4. Solomon writes, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. In other words, I can look outside and be like, well, you know, this is just not an ideal time for me to do this. By the way, I don't know if it's ever an ideal time, if that's your standard. When you have kids, you have kids. When you have career, you have career. And when you have retire, you have retire. And I don't know that there's ever an ideal time. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. It's just not ideal right now. Look at this one, Proverbs 20 and verse number 4. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. In other words, it's just not comfortable. It's just, it's just not comfortable for me to do this. And because I'm not comfortable doing this, I'm just not going to do it. Or how about this one, Proverbs 22 and verse number 13. The slothful man saith, there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. In other words, it's not safe. You know, there's risk involved here. Maybe it's physical risk. Maybe it's financial risk. Maybe it's emotional risk. Because people might reject us in what we want to do for the Lord. But it's just not safe. I've got to put something on the line that I might not get back. By the way, can I ask you, when did Jesus ever say following him would be safe? It's not ideal. It's not comfortable. It's not safe. Christian, can I challenge you to quit focusing on why you can't? Quit focusing on why you won't. And just get at it. Can I put it this way? Get over it. And get creative. Because the work of reaching people is too important not to. There will always be a reason why we can't. Let's be creative enough to find a way we can. It takes creativity. So what's it going to take to make a difference, church? Number one, it's going to take contact. Who's God put in your life? Number two, it's going to take compassion we got to quit looking down our sanctified noses at people and see them how Jesus sees them. Number three, it's going to take cooperation. Yes, look around. You need each other. We need each other. Number four, it's going to take creativity. It might not be ideal. It might not be comfortable. It might not be safe. We might not have never done it like that before. It might not be what we all hoped and thought it would be. We, we, we might be in uncharted water. But let's just get over and get creative. Amen. That's right. 
Let's do something for Jesus. So it takes contact. It takes compassion. It takes cooperation. It takes creativity. One more and we're done. See, I gave it away. Look at verse number five. And when Jesus saw, what's that next word? Let's try it one more time. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Takes contact, takes compassion, takes cooperation, it takes creativity. Number five, it takes conviction. It takes conviction. You see, the Bible says Jesus saw their faith. I believe very simply that that refers to all five. Jesus saw their faith collective. God honored the faith of all of the men involved and allowed them to see the fruit of their label. Now, now let's be very clear. The faith of the four didn't save the one. That's not how this works. You can't believe for somebody else just like nobody could believe for you. But these four men were convinced that if they could just get this man to Jesus, that Jesus could meet his need. And God honored all five of their faith. The one, the lame man, his faith for salvation, and the four men, God honored their faith by allowing them to see fruit. I'm going to tell you, church, if we're going to make a difference, it's going to take conviction. And we can never forget, we can never wane, we can never waver on the fact that Jesus is not just an answer. He is the answer. He is the only answer. There's no other answer for man's condition. Not more education, not more money, not more better health, not better culture, not better government. None of it. There is no other answer for man's condition than Jesus. No other answer. I'm going to tell you, this conviction is what keeps you staying by the stuff when it feels like the world's against you. This conviction keeps you staying by the stuff when it feels like nobody else is helping you. I I can imagine. The guys, do you think they said, excuse me, can we get through? I have to imagine before they ripped the dude's roof off, they asked nicely. I mean, I, I just, I have to imagine they did. But when it even felt like the Jesus crowd was unhelpful to them, they stayed with it. Why? Because they knew Jesus was the answer. This conviction is what's going to keep you moving forward when the forces of hell try to knock you on your face. This conviction that Jesus is the answer. That there is a world full of people in desperate need. And Jesus is the answer. It takes conviction. It takes conviction. No other answer will do. No other solution exists. Jesus is the answer. Church, God uses people to reach people. God uses people to help people. There is really no other good option. I remind you that there were a lot of people there that day. The house was full. It was so crowded there wasn't even room to get in the door. There were many people that day, but only a few people were used of God. I want to be the person God will use. I want to be the person God will use.
What's it going to take, church? Number one, it's going to take what? Contact. Who's God put in your life? Maybe tonight you realize my life really doesn't intersect all that much with the unsaved world. I wonder what relationship can you cultivate for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus? Maybe start with your neighbor. Bake him some cookies and give him an invitation to church. Maybe start with the young lady or young man that rings you up at Walmart or Miller's next time. Takes contact. Number two, it takes compassion. Number three, it takes cooperation. Number four, it takes creativity. Number five, it takes conviction. Church, the need is great. But fruitfulness only comes with faithfulness. Don't grow weary in well-doing. As I'm going to tell you, it is worth it all to get to make a difference for His glory.